Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of the CCGI podcast. Last week we interviewed Dr. Richard Brown, discussed his role at the World Federation of Chiropractic, as well as challenges and opportunities for chiropractic on an international level. This week we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Debbie Wright, a practicing chiropractor in Courtney, British Columbia, and BC representative on the CCA Board of Directors. Before we interview Debbie, Kent and I would like to discuss an interesting resource for clinicians. First off, hi Kent, how have you been? Uh, not too bad. Uh, as we were talking about it off air and uh, it's snowing again here in Calgary and so I'm again working on my shoveling technique and I'm starting to think we need to start hosting this podcast from Hawaii. That would be a good option. Uh, we had snow as well in Vancouver but it melted away the next day so uh, before I got to shovel it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so the, the, the thing I wanted to mention today is, is uh, this resource for clinicians that's available on the uh, Palmer Chir- College of Chiropractic webpage. Uh, I regularly post uh, tips and, and resources on the CCGI Facebook page, uh, but this one stood out to me. It, it contains patient-reported outcome measures, tips on accessing scientific literature and practice management resources. It's, it's called an evidence-based clinical practice toolkit. And it's just nice to have multiple resources located in one area. It saves me the time and effort of having to handpick resources in practice. And it's similar to the purpose of the CCGI website, where we try and house many resources for clinicians on one site. So looking through the Palmer website, we can find learning modules on critical appraisal of research. So, So there's quite a robust set of resources here. We can also find plain language, article summaries, so it's, it's really a great spot to, to land on and uh, I'd highly recommend bookmarking it or, or highlighting it in your in your uh, web browser. And again, that's the Palmer College of Chiropractic website. And Kent, have you checked it out yet? Yeah, I've, I've been aware of it for a while. Uh, Dr. Christine Gertz at, at Palmer was kind of one of the one people who who uh, drove its development. And, and yeah, it's, it's a really nice resource and I, I'd suggest people check it out too. For sure. So... Um, it's pretty easy to find, and, and it's also posted on the Facebook page that we have. Now, yep. let's move on to the fun part of our show, where we get to introduce today's guest, Dr. Debbie Wright. So, Dr. Debbie Wright obtained her Bachelor's of Science in Kinesiology at Simon Fraser University, where she was a member of the varsity swimming team, attaining All-American status. She then attended and graduated from CMCC in 2002, before returning to BC to work in Vancouver and subsequently Courtney, which is in Vancouver Island. Dr. Wright has previously served for 12 years as director on the BC Chiropractic Association Board of Directors and is currently serving as the second vice chair with the Canadian Chiropractic Association Board as well as the, a best practice collaborator with the CCGI. Currently, Dr. Wright is the owner of Bayview Chiropractic in Courtney, BC, which provides a full range of family care. She has recently partnered with two other women chiropractors to found the Grove Health and Wellness the Grove will be a multidisciplinary clinic focusing on true collaborative care and will open in the winter of 2018. So thank you for joining us, Debbie. Thanks for having me, folks. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I was really excited to have you on because, Deb, you are the first of my classmates <laughs> uh, to, be, uh, to be on the show. Um, I remember you were actually at class, which is better than uh, a fair number of our <laughs> classmates. It's, it's, it's great to have you here. Well, thanks. Yeah, no, it is great to be here. It is, you know, I have to say, Kent, it's pretty cool now that we're, you know, 15, 16 years in, into practice, which, you know, saying that in itself is, is a little bit of a shock to my system. But to see to see our classmates sort of emerging into these positions um, and uh, and starting to be involved a little bit more in the profession at large. So, yeah, it's, it's great to see what you've been doing out there as well in Calgary. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have a chat. 
Fantastic. I mean, we were hoping we'd start off, you know, this is actually our first time having, I think, a BC, uh, a BC chiropractor, aside from myself, on the show. So hopefully you can tell us about the practice landscape in BC. Yeah, well, as as you well know, Galen, um, I, I absolutely love practicing in BC. There is no doubt about it. But, you know, there are some things about our scope out here that might surprise a few people. Uh, I think we definitely have one of the more limited scopes in Canada. Uh, we don't do acupuncture. Uh, we can't order imaging, so no x-ray, CT or MRI. Uh, we can't order lab tests. So we are we are fairly limited in our diagnostic ability, but also in, in some of the other treatment modalities that other chiropractors across Canada have access to. Um, thankfully, here on Vancouver Island, we're part of the Vancouver Island Health Authority, and we're fortunate enough to be included in the PAC system, which is the online imaging system. So I can log on and, and take a look at my patient's CTs, MRIs, ultrasounds, and, and, and the reports, the films and the reports. But unfortunately, nowhere else on the province is really on this consistently. And I know that's something that the Provincial Association is, is working towards. But uh, I feel lucky that at least, uh, you know, our, us practicing chiropractors on the island have that opportunity. So, you know, it's, it's not ideal for the patient, but we make it work. Like I found a, a pretty happy medium in my town just by fostering good relationships with the family doctors and the radiologists. So I get to see a pretty good collaboration on patient care. Um, I can send someone back easily through their family doctor if they need further imaging, or I can call up and speak to the radiologist at the hospital if I have questions about a film I'm looking at. But uh, obviously we'd like to see some of that stuff move forward. Um, I know you, as well as you, Galen, I'm involved with the, the local, the Vancouver uh, practice-based research network. And so, you know, there, when you can see how the local chiropractors are they're doing research and they're integrating themselves into these collaborative care settings, that's really exciting. And, and hopefully that's going to help us move forward uh, towards better patient care in this province. Completely. So there's a lot of different different things going on, obviously. And I'm, I'm intrigued to hear about the, the PAC system and that you're able to have access to uh, to those images. I would love that in my practice. <laughs> oh, seriously, it is. Uh, I use it every single day, every mm -hmm. day. And it's, um, you know, without it, I life would just be so much more difficult because I can see if films have already been done. I can see when films have been done and they've been the inappropriate films, right? Yeah. So you're yeah. looking at something and you're like, ah, you know, like that really, really shouldn't have, that shouldn't have been done. That's not even a legal film. I'm not even sure why they did only an E to P thoracic <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to look for scoliosis, yeah. you know? So um, it makes life uh, easy, but then, you know, um, in addition to that, I'd really like to be able to send, um, you know, patients for my own, you know, for yeah. imaging on my own. So I don't have to write this huge letter to the doctor and be like, oh, by the way, this is the film that I suggest, right? Exactly. Or make make sure that's an MRI arthrogram, not just an MRI. And uh, which, you know, sometimes is well received and sometimes it isn't well received. Definitely. I mean, and it's, it's, it's working to, in that direction of trying to reduce the redundancies that occur in, in, in healthcare yeah. and in you know, multiple imaging and the time that has to be spent writing these, these long notes and trying to uh, communicate with other practitioners. So it, yeah. it's tough on collaboration for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Deb, the, the next thing that we were going to ask you is how did you get involved with the BCCA and, and the CCA? How, like, how do clinicians get involved in advocacy work? For myself, I really just kind of fell into my work with the BCCA. Um, like in school, I'd been involved with the SCCA and the WCCS, which is the student version of the CCA and the WFC uh, throughout my years. Uh, but I didn't really have any thoughts about, uh, you know, kind of getting into provincial advocacy when I first moved here. Um, but in my first couple of years of practice in Vancouver, I worked in an office with a chiropractor who was a board director 
uh, on the BCCA. And uh, I think after about a, a year into practice, she decided a year into my practice, she decided to go back and pursue a master's degree. And so she resigned her position. Uh, and she suggested that I fill her vacancy until the next election. So, you know, I agreed. I thought, oh, you know, I'll give it a year and see what happens. And then 12 years later, I was I was still there. Um, so one one position on the board, I was originally like a lower mainland director because that's when I uh, when I were, was working in Vancouver. Um, and then once I moved to the island, uh, the position on the board that I filled was the CCA director for BC. So I represented BC at the CCA uh, on the CCA board. Um, and the previous director had finished his term. So when I moved to the island, they asked me to to fill that uh, that role. And so from there, I've been elected into the executive. So now I'm the second vice chair. I'm not actually the director for BC anymore. Um, I'm on the executive itself as the second vice chair. And so uh, once that happened, I was no longer on the BCCA board anymore. So for the last two years, I've only been serving on the CCA board on the executive um, that's my story, but in terms of how do other clinicians get involved in advocacy work, it's, it's really so easy. I, I don't think that there's an association out there that wouldn't welcome participation from its members. People are looking for volunteers everywhere. Um, if you're unsure about jumping into a board position, you can start out really easy, just volunteering on committees or representing the association at various community functions or advocacy event. Like I know for myself, I have a go-to list of people I ask when we're looking to populate a task force or, or a short-term committee. So you're, um, you know, the amount of commitment can be minimal to start just to see if it's something that you enjoy. Um, so if that's something that piques your interest, you know, for sure, let your provincial board know that you're interested in opportunities like this because uh, they would love to utilize your knowledge and your skills. Um, and, you know, apart from that, every association is also constantly looking for new chiropractors to run for and get elected onto the board. Uh, most boards now have term limits because they realize that new perspectives and fresh energy are really necessary for the success of an organization. Um, and a board also needs diversity of competencies and skills around the table, right? So the more diversity you have, the more you make sure that the right questions are asked and that you can have a good informative discussion. Um, and, you know, you don't need to know everything before you start, right? Like a good board's going to provide you with proper orientation, ongoing director training, um, in things like governance, leadership, you know, financial literacy, all the things that you, you need to be a successful director. So, like I said, you don't need to know everything in advance, but you need to be willing to learn. Um, and yeah, your, your provincial board or the national board may be exact, you might be exactly who they're looking for. So I really encourage people to, to reach out and just kind of see what it's about. It's really fun to be involved. I, I've, it's, uh, it's something that I've always really enjoyed doing and, and, uh, I can't see myself ever not, you know, being involved in something, um, at a higher level in the profession. Yeah, it's it's really amazing when you when you volunteer the the benefits do really tend to go both ways and, you know not only in what you you give but you you tend to to learn a lot and 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 you tend to meet really good people and and have good experiences when you volunteer in the profession hey Oh, absolutely. Like the people you meet on different levels, like not even just within the profession in different countries or in different provinces, but people outside of the profession. Um, you know, it's really made me a lot more, um, you know, confident in our profession and what we do and what we have to offer and, uh, you know, what we can provide for, for not only our patients, but just healthcare generally in Canada. Like it's, it's really gives you a much broader perspective, um, on the healthcare system and our position in it. And, uh, and really just the opportunities that are that are ahead of us. It makes me way more excited for my profession to be involved at that level. Oh, that's great. So speaking of involvement, uh, another one of the things that you do is you're, you're one of the best practice collaborators for the CCGI. So how do you go about sharing CCGI resources with colleagues and, and how do you personally use them in practice? 
Um, yeah, as it's, I love the, the uh, best practice collaborator program because it's, you give us so many tools to be able to go out and share uh, the information, uh, but there's so much flexibility. So really I share them in any way possible, uh, both formally and informally. So even just looking at the past year, let's say I've given presentations to local chiropractic groups and societies. Um, I've had formal and informal conversations with associations and regulators, uh, you know, last year in Kelowna, I sat down at the AGM and, and walked a group of older practitioners through the, the website and showed them the new videos and the patient tools that they didn't even know were there. So literally, it's sometimes it's one on one and sometimes it's in larger groups. Um, and then, you know, the, the easy stuff, right? Sharing things on social media, talking to colleagues I see on a regular basis. Um, it, it tends to be pretty easy. And what makes it even easier is that it's not really a hard sell. You know, when people realize that there's these resources and these tools that are already created and they make your practice life easier and better, they jump all over it. Um, so you guys make my job easier, frankly. Um, and in terms of uh, my practice, uh, you know, it's I can honestly say that in the last two years, uh, between CCGI resources and some of the other KT efforts that are out there, you've absolutely revolutionized the way that I practice. Like it's literally turned it on its head. Um, and not so much in the delivery of hands-on treatment, like in terms of what I do to the patient with my hands, but it's substantially changed how I speak with my patients, the words I choose to use, and what I recommend for them outside the office. I think the, the greatest thing is that I can confidently discuss with patients what the evidence shows is the best way to approach a problem. Um, and in terms of the tools that you guys have, I use those all the time. And my most favorite for sure are the videos, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone. Those are fabulous. Uh, right now, I regularly email patients the link straight from my straight from the treatment room, um, which I have I have laptops in there, so I can email people the link for them to take a look and 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 go through them. Um, eventually, I'd like to embed them on my website. I just haven't gotten around to that yet. Um, but the, your website, the CCGI website itself, is fabulous, and uh, you know I can easily access all the information I need, and I use those with patients every day. Um, but even more than that, every once in a while, I'll go down some like rabbit hole on that website, and it'll lead me to other resources <laughs> that are super helpful. Um, that's how I found the Chiropractic Science podcast, Dean Smith's podcast, um, which I am just a huge fan. I found that so incredibly valuable in my practice. Oh, that's uh, that's all great to hear. We we like hearing that uh, that clinicians are getting a lot out of the website, and it's going to continue to evolve, and we're going to continue to add more and more content uh, as uh, you know as our programs develop here. Oh yeah, I'm I'm very excited for the next set of guidelines coming out, the low back ones. And I made a promise to myself, Galen, that I wouldn't ask you when they were coming out again. So <laughs> I'm stay, not gonna ask stay you. tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, so speaking of the guidelines, the next thing if we'd like to do, if you're okay with it, is discuss a, cl a clinical scenario that sort of shows how, how you go about using guidelines in practice. That, you, you up for that, Deb? Sure, absolutely. All right. So if you had a patient who had a, had a chronic whiplash, so say like a type 2 uh, wad, what, what, sorts of, what types of tools or resources would you, would you use to help, help manage that patient? All right. Um, well, evidence, evidence around a chronic WAD 2 treatment really emphasizes exercise, right? So with, with supervised being best and advice. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to offer a patient a course of hands-on treatment in my office. I think Andre has drilled into all of us that these are tools and not rules. So I'm going to consider, you know, the, the portion of the, the patient preference and my own clinical experience along with the evidence. So I would absolutely treat them in my office. That's why, that's why they're there. Um, so 
like off the bat though, the guidelines really alert me to the fact that I need to focus on what I say to the patient in terms of advice and what they're doing in their everyday lives around exercise and movement. So number one, you got to make sure that they're moving. People need to be moving, right? If they're not moving, that's the first thing that you need to address. Um, and then in terms of how you speak to the patient, you know, the research shows that patient lo patients love specific explanations for their problems. But focusing on that, you know, pathoanatomical explanation can often delay recovery and lead to further further chronicity. It was actually a cold dawning reality for me when I realized that how much we contribute to chronicity all the time by how we speak to patients. So I really try to choose my, my words very carefully now and really stress how robust the spine is. You know, I talk a lot about the concepts of hurt versus harm, central sensitization, and the idea of pain science. So um, it's not a CCGI tool, but I often use Greg Lehman's book, uh, Recovery Strategies with Patients Around Persistent Pain, um, you know, because you really have to get them to a place where they aren't scared to move and, and that they do understand it's the single greatest thing they can do for themselves uh, to be able to work towards being self-sufficient in their own recovery. And in terms of the exercise portion, I've also really realized that the best exercise for a patient is the one that they're actually going to do. So the evidence shows in this situation that supervised exercise is best, but does that really work in that patient's own situation? You know, whether it's financially, personality-wise, schedule-wise. So you have to work with them to find out what plan they're actually going to adhere to. Um, and that's why I really find the exercise videos so great, because they're a fabulous middle ground and they're really easy to access and easy to follow. Um, so yeah, I mean, you really have to consider that full biopsychosocial approach, you know, are there other parts of this patient's life that are affecting their pain? Um, and if you can't help them in those other identified areas, you really need to start collaborating with other healthcare professionals who can. Um, so there, there's really so many resources on the CCGI website that either deal with these specific issues, or they lead you to other sources of information that can help you deal with those issues. Um, so like I said, it, you know, it's really turned its, it, my practice on its head in, in, in that aspect of, of patient education. Um, and, you know, last but not least, you, you need outcome measures, right? So whether you're using indexes, um, you know, or patient reported outcome measures or just something, you need something to benchmark and measure your progress to make sure that you're moving forward uh, with clinical, clinically relevant improvement. And not just improvement in terms of like, you know, ranges of motion or disability, but something that the patient actually finds uh, relevant to themselves as well. And of course, that increases the buy-in and, and uh, interest from the patients as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's a it is that kind of evolving discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, it's it's helpful for for I think the listeners and for us as well to to hear someone kind of work through in in a realistic that kind of realistic scenario, because quite often we look at the guidelines and we get and and uh, we get stuck on you know the x y and z of it but forget the you know the nuances uh, with the patient interaction the nuances with uh, our language and and our our, our attitude and how we uh, how that affects patient outcomes as well so i'm glad you touched on those yeah no it's it's something that's i've really been thinking about lately a lot in my practice with all the research coming out around you know contextual factors uh, around treatment and, and what can not only increase patient satisfaction, but obviously increase outcomes and, and, uh, and improvement. And, you know, once that sort of light bulb went off in my head, you really start to look at some of the things that you say and some of the things that your patients say when they come in, you know, like, oh, this is out or, you know, I just need you to put me back in or I need you to fix me, you know, and yeah. um, there was, uh, there was, I think it was D one of Dean Smith's podcast had, uh, I can't remember who it was. It was, um, 
a Scandinavian researcher who was talking about the life course of back pain and how she describes it. And she's, you know, she really describes and, and explains back pain to her patients like the common cold, right? It's not mm. a, a, an individual episode where you break yourself, you go to somebody, they fix you and it's never going to happen again. It's more, uh, you know, a lifelong thing where, you know, everybody gets it and we get it multiple times. We don't necessarily know exactly what causes it and treatment's going to help you manage it. And then maybe, you know, uh, help to arm you with some tools to, you know, minimize recurrence or, or minimize severity uh, or help you through those episodes quicker. So, you know, just even setting those, ex those patient expectations and, and some of that language you use around that, I think can be really helpful in terms of helping patients help themselves and, and setting realistic expectations for what's going to happen in their life, right? Well, it's a great way to frame it. I really like that approach and, and, uh, and how you might communicate that to a patient too. That's, that's useful. So, I mean, we, we're running out of time, Devin, but we'd really like to thank you for, for joining us today and, and taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to speak with us. Uh, for, for the listeners, it's that time of the show when we ask you for a favor. We'd like you to visit that Palmer College of Chiropractic website and spend a few minutes browsing and bookmarking pages that pique your interest. You might also find that uh, Greg Lehman's website, the Exploring uh, Pain Science, I believe, uh, uh, booklet is also another great resource to, to check out. Yeah, thanks again for, for tuning in. I'd like to thank Deb again for joining us, and uh, we'll really look forward to bringing you our next guest in a couple of weeks. Bye for now.